0: G'day everyone it's Greg Ryan here welcome to episode 17 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast and today we are joined by Dr. Bruno Martinez-Leo from the Montezuma Children's Hospital in Mexico City who is a pediatric colorectal surgeon. Welcome doctor. Thank you very much Greg thank you very much for having me here. Oh it's a pleasure um you're the first person from uh, South America we've had on the podcast, so it's it's great to Oh, we'll celebrate. Yes, it's great to be able to capture all the uh, different global countries. So if you want to just give us a bit of a background of your history.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I trained at uh, Mexico City at Moxuma Children's Hospital. It's a very busy children's hospital uh, with treating about 3,000 patients per year. Uh, In general, pediatric surgery, it was a very busy training. And then I had the opportunity to to visit Dr. Pena, Dr. Alberto Pena at Cincinnati Children's. And then I had the the golden opportunity to go back and make a fellowship there with him 2014-2015. And it changed my life. That's where I treat patients with colorectal patients. I came back to Mexico City and I returned to that hospital where I trained. And uh, I have the fortune to operate on them and and follow them up as much as possible. And the and the real uh, nice thing of that hospital is we treat the poorest kids in this city, uh, for Mexico City. We treat the only patients with no social security or no insurance. So we try to do any effort to make their their lives better as as better as possible, as best as possible. That's
0: that's wonderful, and I'd imagine that. The parents and the families they wouldn't have a lot of support as far as getting the stoma supplies and all that. How do the parents deal with that when you after you've had the surgeries? Do they have access to all the proper supplies?
1: No, they don't. Uh, actually, there is no government um, treatment. I mean, the government doesn't give them the supplies and you know all the all the things they have. We have a wonderful stoma nurse there that uh, makes miracles with, uh, with, with whichever they have to do, but they don't have uh, the amount they really need. So most of them uh, take out of their pockets to pay for the stomach bags and the powders and uh, all the things they, they actually need for that. Um, and most of them are just as, as, as uh, your, your foundation, they are very resilient and they find a way to, to make it better for their kids.
0: That's wonderful that you've got such a great soma nurse and the people around you, because that makes such an, in- it's so important, isn't it, for the ongoing care?
1: Yeah, it makes a, a, it makes a lot of difference, quite a difference. And I, I, t- I joke with my patients and I say, okay, that, that's, that's the next room when, when I, I treat them and, and, and they start to have real problems with stoma. I said, well, uh, that's, that's the, the, the nurse's office. You have to go there. <laughs> and then she works out the medical and, and, and they get better. So you, you need a very dedicated nurse uh, for that. So I, I am very grateful to her because she is also very professional and, and, and takes very good care of them.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And how many ARM patients would you normally treat like in a year?
1: Like in a year, I'm operating about 100 patients uh, for, um, for uh, an anorectal repair and maybe a, a, a little less number for uh, stomach closure and diagnostics and all the things that are done in the, in the operating room. Uh, we have an active database of 300 patients that we have treated and we have followed them up for the last six to seven years. Uh, and that's what keeps us very busy. It, it may it might sound like a small number, but they, they are uh, very important for us.
0: Yeah, and do you, do you treat treat adolescents as well?
1: Yeah, we treat adolescents as well in Mexico. Uh, some hospitals, by law, makes you send the patients to the adult uh, healthcare when they are sixteen years or sixteen years old or older. In some other places, it's after eighteen years old. That's that's when they they reach their adulthood here in Mexico. But we trickle system a little bit, and we still still see them when they need.
0: And do you have a transitional program to a, an adult hospital, a specific adult colorectal surgeon?
1: No, we don't. We, we are starting to talk to them, uh, but it, it's been a very difficult way to get them because they, they don't know about that, uh, the, the congenital malformations, as, as you, of course, know. But um, it's, it's very difficult to find an interested colorectal surgeon in in anorectal malformation for that. So we are still looking We we have friends that we can talk to them and sometimes they talk to us, but uh, as a program, as we would like to settle, we don't have, as as we don't have a special program for fertility, for example, right? Girls with craca or or with uh, problems in uh, vaginal septum, uh, things like that, or duplicate uterus. uh, We don't have a a transitional program. They have a place to get there, right? There are specialized places where they can get to, but the, 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 the transition, we, we have a, a long way to walk to get there.
0: Unfortunately, it's one of the great uh, difficulties globally with ARM patients, isn't it? And unfortunately, the adult colorectal surgeons just treat our condition as a pediatric problem. There's so many that just won't open their their eyes to what what needs to be done, isn't it?
1: yeah pretty much because most most of the colorectal pathologies uh, which i have la- I have tried to learn a lot from them from the adult uh, literature and, and and the papers, most of them are acquired, right and most of them deal with colorectal cancer, so they have a lot of attention into that, and congenital anomalies uh, they, they don't seem to they, they don't seem to have a very big volume uh, on that and what I've what I learned uh, over the years is that uh, some, some, some surgeons tend to say to the parents and the babies, or then older children, that they are going to behave like that. Uh, you know, a, a, a patient with anorectal malformation, it's like it is, right? And, and sometimes they think that it's normal. They have a diaper when they have 9, 10 years old and because they think that it's normal, but, but it is not. So my, my wild thought about that, my wild guess is that there's a lot of adult patients surviving the day-to-day with a congenital malformation, <laughs> of course, and fecal incontinence and, and fecal, uh, urinary incontinence, then they think that it's normal and they don't really seek for help, right? They yes. find ways to, to cover that up and try to be functional in society. And uh, some of the patients have come to me because they they, they listen to a talk that somebody uploaded in YouTube. And I, I said that fecal incontinence is not normal. Nobody has to have fecal incontinence. So some patients find that talk and get to me. Uh, but uh, I think there, there is a very huge paradigm about that, right? Because it's congenital. You have to live with that and there's no way to solve it. And that's not the truth. Uh, you, you know it. And, and there's a lot of Think we can do for those patients.
0: Yes. Have you seen any adult patients yourself, or are you allowed to see adult patients at your hospital?
1: Not at the hospital. The older patient I have following up, she's 22 years old and she had an unrepaired plaque until we met when she was 14. And it's a very striking case. I, I, I have her with me all the time because she came in asking for a vagina. They, they, they did the colorectal pull through but they didn't treat the urogenital sinus. And, uh, and, and she, asked, she went to me when she was like 14 years old, something like that. And she said, I want a vagina. I want to, I want to have a vagina. And we, we did a follow-up and the workup and uh, everything she needed. And, and, and we found out that she didn't have the surgery for the urogenital sinus. And she's now 22 years old. Uh, uh, that's the oldest patient I have. I have I have seen some other older patients, like thirty-five years old, thirty years old, that they have their malformation repaired, but they are living a normal life. Sometimes they ask just out of curiosity if they need something else, but it's not a common thing. Uh, I, I can I can count them with my hands. Uh, very yeah. few patients go and look for help, uh, or or know that they can be treated. Right?
0: Yeah, it's just. Yeah, it's unfortunately it's something that we just need to try and get some awareness of out there in the adult uh, colorectal community but you're right that i know myself the uh the adults just once they leave the pediatric care they think well this is my lot and i've just got to deal with it the best i can yeah what influence did dr pena have on you when you were at cincinnati
1: Oh, my. It's a, it's a very long answer. Uh, I, I'm going to say a very brief part of it. He's the most um, important mentor I have, uh, no doubt about it, in every aspect. Uh, I grew up without a father, and he feel, fulfilled some of that lacks that I have. Oh, really? And, and on the other hand, I admire her deep, deeply. I, I admire him deeply as a surgeon, and and a, a very a, a a person with a very high moral authority on anorectal malformations he has a a very deep understanding of anorectal malformations of course we have everybody knows that but he also has a deep understanding of their of his patients and now with Andrea Vishov taking care of them as well and and Luisa la Torre uh, they have a very deep understanding on of, of the personalities and the needs of their patients. If you read Dr. S- Doctor Pena's book, the, the first book he published, uh, Atlas of Anorectal Malformations, and then you read the, the book uh, he published in 2015, which uh, my commercial here is I helped with that book, and the last and the final edition of that I helped. Uh, uh, I've got an
0: autographed copy of it. It's in pride yeah, of place yeah, in I my have- bookcase.
1: I have, I have two, (laughs) I have two of them, Uh, uh, but, but you, you can see an evolution of of what he learned and uh, everything uh, he has shared over these 40 plus years of life that he has devoted to colorectal surgery. And that is something I most admire of him because he's always sharing about that. And he has a very humble position on that. He said, he says, we have, operated on 600 and plus cloacas and he humbly says every presentation and we are still learning right he always says we we don't stop learning that, that's i think that's the most important thing right and and and, and what i said to my to my residents what, what i most learned what, what i learned the most during that year was not actually in the eor it was having lunch with him i had lunch with him several times i I learned a lot uh, about that. We discussed cases, we discussed things in life, uh, surgical technique, a lot of things. so I'm very grateful for him because the most thing he the, the most he gave me was time and knowledge more 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 than actually secrets of corrective surgery or things like that yeah. and the example he he led by example about that so so that's that's the most important thing.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And do you have many colleagues in your hospital that do? Anorectal malformations, or you you look after most of the patients.
1: I am I am the one that makes uh, uh, the uh, the correct surgery for all the patients.
0: Okay, and
1: my my older teachers are there and they took care of anorectal malformations before I came in, and they are still there. We 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 share information and cases, but uh, I am the only one.
0: Do you have many cases where you have to do redos?
1: Actually, no, after, after, it's a funny story because my, my previous chief of surgery, he was with Dr. Pena, 19, 1989, something like that. And, 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 and he, he took the, or, or, or everything he knew, he took to Moctezuma Children's and their pupils, who are my colleagues now, they learn very well, right? So it, it's not as common as, as you may think, but we have a very closed community of patients as, as we are not a very big hospital, we are not a national institute of health, we don't get a lot of referrals. We get referrals from inside the city. So that's why I don't have plenty of reduce. Most of them, thankfully, are, are just primary surgeries.
0: One other thing which is really close to my heart is, do, is there a patient organization in Mexico for families?
1: No, there is no organization for families. There, there is a couple of groups in Facebook that they are growing very fast, but they are they they include a lot of people with ostomies, old colostomies, ileostomies for any cause, and some of them are are babies, some of them some of them are patients with anorectal malformations, um. But a, a specific group for parents, treating like that, as an organization. Uh, there is not. I am sure there are a lot of groups of parents that are getting together uh, in an um, informal way, right? Yes. And some of them reach out to me or, or to other of my colleagues that do corrective surgery at, at other hospitals, uh, but not as organized as we would like or they would need to to happen.
0: Oh, okay. Well, we'll see if we can do something about that, hey?
1: <laughs> yeah, that it's very much necessary, right? There, There are two... Uh, non-profit organizations. Uh, one is the one I collaborate with. It's called Momentum Foundation for Congenital Colorectal Diseases.
0: Yes, I've heard uh, of them. Yes, I follow them yeah, on Facebook.
1: Yeah, we, we, we follow each other, yes. And um, uh, they, they their aim is to to help treat every person with a congenital colorectal disease. And there is another organization, a, a, a quite older than uh, ours, maybe it's four or five years older, that is called Colon Feliz, a Happy Colon. And, and they also give help to patients and parents in need of economical distress and things like that, uh, organi- uh, giving information for patients that are in need of, of that stuff. So that, those are the only two organizations, nonprofit organizations I know of, that they are devoted to
0: that. One of the other reasons I got you on, Doctor, was to talk about the recent publication in Lancet of the Global PED Surge Cohort Study, which included 3,849 patients from 264 hospitals in 74 countries across the world, conducted between October 2018 and April 2019, which was published on the Lancet on July 13, 2021, and it includes seven Congenital conditions, including anorectal malformation. So, can you just give us yep, a yep. background of that study and the results that came out, especially for the low-income countries?
1: Yeah, certainly. Uh, it's a it's a very interesting story led by Naomi Wright. She she did a, a humongous work. Uh, it's been like four years of working with her. I met her at Washington DC, twenty sixteen, in person because we 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 used to be Twitter pals. Before that, and and we talk about it, and, and we started this endeavor. So, uh, a lot of a lot of people contributed to this information. And as you said, the numbers are just impressive, right? The the, the most important conclusion in, in in this study for every, every condition study is the uh, uh, unacceptable differences in in care a- among different countries, right? In the case of anorectal malformations, it takes a lot of importance because. The bigger group of of congenital diseases in in these other conditions is anorectal malformations, uh, around 25% of them. And it's very interesting because uh, as as long as as for the mortality rate uh, in anorectal malformations in particular, it's it's very low for very high income countries, but it's very high for middle middle income countries. In anorectal malformations, only 7% of them have their problem solved right? Before he, they were discharged. And most of them as, as a bigger series of patients have the same type of malformations, right? Uh, perineal fistula is the most important with 33% of the patients followed by vestibular fistula and then cloacas are only 5% of them. The most important uh, thing about it uh, in, in terms of differentiating from one country to another is, is the appalling the rate of mortality related to it. Not not specific to the malformations, but to the conditions in which the patients arrive to the the treating center. That's that's the most important aspect we found uh, for all of the uh, uh, studies, for all the uh, uh, malformations studied here. Uh, And it's the same for anorectal malformations. The anorectal malformation per se did not represent a problem for mortality but the presence of sepsis when they get in, right? And uh, the need for total parenteral nutrition, and it, it was needed but not available. Uh, those are the most important things when it came to mortality in every every uh, condition studied.
0: I, I note that the results were that for high-income countries, the mortality rate for ARM patients were 1.7%. Yep. Middle-income Countries twelve point one percent, and for low-income countries, it was twenty percent mortality rate, which is incredible, isn't it? Really, the difference. Yes,
1: yes, yes, it is. It's uh, unacceptable as, as our most important uh, conclusions. It's just a an unacceptable uh, difference in, in different countries, and and the most important thing is, is that that you need uh, you don't need a lot of technology to treat anorectal malformations, right? If you say, you need a very specific robot that costs, costs $10 million, well, you you, you, sell, you, you will say, okay, that, that's a very important thing to prove among patients, among countries without the money to, to, to get it. But it is not. And Maybe some of that we have to dig into that, but some of them might be the result of a, a late diagnosis in anorectal malformation, specifically the low malformations, right? Just as in the book you edited, a lot of patients uh, were sent home with, with a perineal fistula, right? And they just knew something was not going, not, not going okay because they have severe constipation, right? And maybe this is one factor that might, might affect those patients, the, the, the time between the diagnosis and the time they actually got uh, the problem solved. Only, only uh, 7% had the problem solved. That's very important. And 54% of all the patients among all, all, all uh, different countries, they needed something to be done after they were discharged. And, and that talks about, uh, we know that every patient has to be followed up for, for several years. Uh, but uh, the patients that have to be discharged, their problem was not solved. That talks about that there's something we are missing there Or uh, in in the end, a lot of them needed a colostomy, like like the number said, uh, and they actually are going to need more care after they were more than one month uh, of age.
0: I have particular interest in that because of what we do with our Help for Ghana project, where we're sending um, unused stoma and uresteria supplies to Ghana to help these children because invariably most of the children... When they have their colostomy surgery, the stoma is just uncovered and it just stays there. They actually don't get to get to the pull through stage. So the children are walking around with uncovered stomas and for a lot of times forever until because they just haven't got the means to get the surgeries done.
1: Yes, yes, of course. It's, it's a problem. When I, when I got back from the United States, one of my goals was to reduce the time. Uh, before the diagno between the diagnosis and the colostomy closure, and when I got in right in the hospital, it, it took about two years and a half for the patient to to get their colostomy reversed. Really? And yes, and we are now well before the pandemics, <laughs> we were we were doing it nine months uh, after the patient was born, and then the colostomy was closed. Uh, um, around nine months old. that—that—that that, that was the goal in uh, early 2020, and now everything has has been delayed. But uh, it can be done. Actually, uh, most of the credit to that goes goes to the stoma nurse <laughs> and <laughs> and a, a person dedicated to those patients specifically.
0: That's incredible that you've you've reduced it from two and a half years down to nine months because you you can see parents from. Although the globe would be, they're getting their stoma's cl- closed within sort of like five six months. The close is now, within five six months after they were born, aren't they?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of course. And there is a lot of burden about uh, not 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 only uh, financial. That's that's the most visible burden they they suffer the fa- the parents, but the emotional stress and they have questions like uh, when is this going to be solved? And they 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 know that their babies are not. Like the other babies, right? They have, they are pooping through the, through their abdomen, yes. And and they actually don't express that, but uh, you can you can see that they have those worries, and and they, I am certain that keeps them awake at night. And they look for solutions, uh, you know, economically and uh, ways to solve the problem. And uh, when they don't have stomach bags, uh, some of them use use uh, diapers, and uh, just as you as you explained. And uh, that is something that we must uh, work to, to, to improve the time before uh, the, the time between the diagnosis and, and the colostomy reversal when they have a colostomy. Right. Yes. The other thing we work, we have worked a lot is in uh, operating low defects without a colostomy. We have, we have uh, worked a lot in uh, several patients that can do that. And, and we have had good results. And uh, even, even though, They have to stay in the hospital for seven to 10 days, and they have to use TPN, where they only undergo one surgery instead of opening a colostomy, then the anorectoplasty, and then a colostomy reversal. And that in terms of money and distress and uh, uh, psychological effects on parents and and patients uh, are an improvement to their care.
0: Speaking of the psychological uh, so part of the, the, in the study, was that taken into account at all?
1: In the study, in, in this study with the global pediatric surgery, no. No, we did no. not.
0: No. It's, a very,
1: it's a very important aspect, but yeah. no, we did not.
0: What do you think was the most important thing to come out of the study? And I would encourage all listeners to um, refer to the study because it's goes into incredible detail and like the, there's 16 pages of it on the Lancet, and it's available to anyone to access, but I would yeah. really encourage it because it's for ARM community, especially for clinicians and for families, it's just so such important reading, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's my, uh, all the statisticians that made all this analysis have all my respects, right? That's that's the most solid part of this study because we have a lot of patients. We have uh, almost four four thousand patients, and and almost a thousand of those patients have anorectal malformation. So we have to study further these patients because th- th- this is a subset of data that is going to give us m- even more information to help us help them better. And the thing is. Uh, Everything we knew about a lot of patients with analytical malformations, such as associated anomalies, we can we have these now in raw numbers, right? Like genital urinary malformations, cardiac malformations. Uh, how are they treated around the world? And the, the most important thing is, uh, a, a lot of patients do have these malformations, and they can go a place to a place to to get care of about it. And the study. The most important information is the most important aspect of this this study into uh, patients or the the REM communities that we have now more solid data. We have a lot of series, right? We can say that Dr. Peña has the the the, the largest uh, series in 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 the world with when it comes to a lot of patients came together. But this is a very heterogeneous uh, subset of patients, right? We have high-income countries. We have low, middle, low and middle-income countries that they are showing a lot of data about anorectal malformations. The main difference is uh, mortality, right? High-income yes. countries will have a very low mortality while the other countries will not. But we have a very homogeneous clinical information in this study that uh, Naomi and I uh, are going to work into a making a better analysis and all the subsets of uh, indicators that how does this really affect productivity and how does this really affect uh, what is called catastrophic uh, expenditure, right? And how does it affect these families in terms of how much they spend uh, in, as you said, stomachs and going back and forth from hospitals and how how long is the hospital from their homes. That is a very important aspect that the study uh, um, revealed, no, the, the distance between the, the, where the patient was born and where the patient was actually treated. Sometimes went like 50 kilometers, you might say, well, I take a car and I drive uh, half an hour and I'm there. But we know, know very low income countries, they don't have even roads sometimes to get there.
0: Yeah, I've got a really good example of that. We funded some surgery for a little boy, Na in Ghana. And they lived in a village. They For 15 kilometres, there was no road. So to get them into the hospital, they had to send out motorbikes to put the okay. mother and the child on the motorbike for 15 kilometres, then get them into a car, and then drive three hours to the hospital. It's yeah. just... Yeah, you think of that, and it's just incredible. And the other thing I'd I'd imagine too is with the low-income countries, tragically, the kids wouldn't even get to the hospitals to get the treatment, would they? They were depending where they're born, they just might not know have the skills to be able to treat the patient when they're born.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, and they they receive a late, a very late treatment. If if they have a perineal fistula, they will survive because we've seen that, right? Yep. We've seen boys with two years old. Uh, uh, a couple of months ago, I operated on a two year old boy that they, he, he had a perineal fistula. He's okay. He didn't die. But patients with, with, they don't have any opening, no anal opening at all, they will probably die from, uh, from uh, hollow viscous perforation. And it will happen in three or four days. And, and the most important thing that I, that I uh, with that distance from, from one place to another, as you say, they have to get into motorbike, you might find very, very distressing that these this kind of things happen actually within Mexico City, right? Really? That, that has to travel three hours to get to the hospital, right? Uh, because uh, they, they still live in the city, but the access to that hospital is just too far away. Or they, they, they are born in, in the... In the northern part of the city, and they have to drive across the city. That in a car would take you uh, half an hour, or forty-five minutes. Uh, but they have to use uh, public transportation, and they take. They they might it might take them sometimes three hours. So, in the in the state of an emergency, they are actually in danger, even if they live within the city. Yes, it's, it's, it's appalling.
0: Yeah, like, and this—that's why this study is so groundbreaking. Because, you know, you know that there's the main centres in uh, America, like Nationwide and Cincinnati and uh, Denver, that have done their own studies on their own cohort. But to have this worldwide, because I know one of the there was even the, we had surgeons from Australia participate, which was wonderful as well. It was just, it's just an incredible thing, and. You know, I was fortunate enough to meet Naomi Wright a couple of years ago yeah. at a conference in in England, and she's such a wonderful person. And what she's done, like especially for the sub sahara African yep. countries, it's amazing, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's 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 a a very uh, big enterprise she has gotten into, uh, and uh, it's deeply admirable because it's a uh, a tremendous effort to you know to to coordinate. All, all those surgeons, all that information, all that, all that people. I, I have the privilege of being on the organizing committee and, and uh, it, it is a, a tremendous amount of work. And uh, the information, that, the, the raw information of this study is, is just going to be helpful for years
0: and years and years to come. Oh, yeah, I've got no doubt about that. and And it's just, and it'll help clinicians all across the world who really never ever get to see an erectile malformation patient as well
1: yeah yeah might happen yes i actually uh, have a, a couple of uh, maybe five years now that i ask to a specific group of uh, medical students they go over the years to go to the, they go to the hospital and i ask them five questions and only around 4% of them have seen a patient with anorectal malformations. We are talking, we are talking about uh, right now there must be 150 now doctors, right? Yes. They, they, they finished their training in general medicine and only 5% saw a patient with anorectal malformations. I ask them that before they start their rotation with me, of course, because <laughs> when they, they get with me, they get to me, we see patients with anorectal malformations, but you know, it's, it's uh, something to worry about because uh, uh, one of the problems that they go undiagnosed is that, that they haven't ever seen a patient with uh, an imperforate anus uh, and they, nobody taught them how to explore them and and what I usually tell them is, if you see a, 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 that anus, it's funny looking, it's, it's, it's weird, something doesn't add up, send it to a, to a colorectal surgeon, ideally, or send it to a pediatric surgeon, then they can take a look and say, yeah, yeah, something's wrong with the anus. Let's let's make further studies, right? I think the most important thing about the study, just to conclude that, is the unacceptable differences in mortality for, for every cause, right? We have a lot of patients with anorectal malformations, right? Uh, it, 991 in the study. Yes, yes, almost 25%. And so that, it, that's it, the
0: most of the, any group that was in the study, actually? The, yes.
1: Yes, it is. So uh, maybe we have to update our uh, statistical data on, on, on how many patients are around the world living with an anorectal malformation. Uh, that, that's the, the most important uh, conclusion for, for, for me in terms of what would you tell people about this study that, that they have to have a, take an idea about it. And that there is an unacceptable differences in mortality rates, just because the access of care they have, right? It's, it's not really about uh, if the surgeon did well or not with the patient. Uh, the most important thing is they got late to the, to the hospital and they, they were sick when they got into the hospital. That's, yes. that's the most important aspect, right? And there are some other indicators about it, but that's the most important conclusion. And another thing I, I want to add is to congratulate you on this is, is this also very important effort on increasing awareness of anorectal malformations. Uh, it's, it's, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of uh, 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 guts to, to stand up and say, I, I, I had it. And, and I usually tell to everyone, if you get an, an operation of the heart, you open your chest and you say, hey, this is my surgery, right? But nobody's gonna say, hey, I had an operation in the anus 50 years ago, look, look how it goes. And it takes a lot of courage. So I wanna congratulate you. I am I'm very happy to, to meet you and, and to be a Twitter pals and, and Instagram pals because yeah. it helps people that they, they are not alone, right? There's something that that there's someone that cares about them in in terms of personal feelings, and there's a lot of a lot of doctors that we are pushing to improve care uh, everywhere in in colorectal surgery. Maybe Moctezuma Children is a very small hospital, but I, I can assure you uh, we do everything in our power to make those patients' lives better than they are when they get to us.
0: Well, I appreciate the kind words, but i only just i'm only just a baby, a little small part of it, and I just try to if i if I can help people not feel alone, but clinicians like yourself, you're the most important people because you're the one who treats the patients and gives them the quality of life that hopefully that they they can achieve so I have to thank you more than you think me i can tell you
1: i I like to think we're like a like a
0: team something like that like every everyone
1: does does uh, th- 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 their part and everything works out for, for the patient. So thank you again. Um, I, I, um, I want to be sure of, of saying that. And uh, I don't think I'm going to say it enough. It's very important, the <laughs> work you're
0: doing. No, no, no I appreciate it, doctor. But uh, as I said, our community is so wonderful. And the families and the clinicians and they have embraced what we've been trying to do especially like with the foundation with the you know what we've done with the help for ghana and trying to help kids and just refer other families to each other and just to make them and for the kids not to feel alone that's that's the most important thing so doctor i can't thank you enough for the information you provided especially about the global PEED surge study was really valuable and i'm sure we'll have listeners go refer to the study and get from more information. And what you're doing for the, your patients in Mexico City is, you know, it's it's wonderful they've got a, a surgeon with your background and your care for the patients to look after them and their families.
1: Certainly, certainly. I, I, I'm happy to say we, I am not alone. There are some other places in Mexico City that treat patients as well. Uh, we're a small community, but, but we are we're striving to do better and work Together as well, something that is not always possible, but we are trying, and we, we, I think we're getting there.
0: Oh, that's great!
1: All
0: right. All right, doctor. I'll talk to you again soon.
1: Certainly, anytime you want. It was a pleasure talking talking to you here, and and I hope my English was uh, uh, fully understandable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, let me know if I can be with you any any other time. I'm happy to talk about colorectal diseases, uh, and. Uh, Thanks
0: again. I'd love to be able to do a Spanish one, but your English is a lot better than my Spanish, I can tell you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we, we we can make some Spanglish, right?
0: Yeah, we'll work it out. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Take care, Greg. Bye.